Missouri's election season is in full swing, but lawmakers are headed back to Jefferson City next week to deal with the annual veto session and a special session called by Governor Mike Parson. Unlike in previous years, there's not a lot of controversy about the issues, which include expanding STEM education and drug courts. And special sessions not about what I want, it's about what we want. It's about doing the right thing for Missouri, so we're doing this all together. Uh, on that. On this episode of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's Marshall Griffin and I talk about how this special session is different from years past. We also take a closer look at Proposition D, which would raise Missouri's gas tax. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joe Manis is still off this week, so we have as our special co-host from Jefferson City, Marshall Griffin. Thank you for joining me, Marshall. Um, I didn't think that we would have some legislative news in the heat of election season, but Governor Mike Parson did call a special session that's going to be in conjunction with Missouri's annual veto session. This does happen from time to time, and and typically it's on, like, hot-button or controversial issues. But I'm kind of sensing this is a different kind of special session. What are, you, what are you hearing down in Jefferson City? Well, it's different, for, in my opinion, for one reason. Um, normally when there's a special session, it's because there's, you know, some type of crisis or some type of opportunity, uh, like, you know, trying to get tax credits for some bid for, say, like an an airport or you know a, or a you know contract coming in that would mean hundreds or thousands of jobs and those types of special sessions um, at least during my tenure here have um, failed to lure those big developers in or the most the most recent one to consider impeaching former governor Eric Greitens which turned out to be moot this one however is different because this this special session is dealing specifically with two bills, or the, the, the contents, I should say, of two bills that were vetoed. And veto session's coming up, and it would be easy just to try to override the vetoes. Uh, well, I say easy. It would depend on how much support there is for an override. But instead of just uh, having lines in the sand, um, Governor Parson is actually proposing this special session to deal with the subject matter in those two vetoed bills to see if um, you know a more agreeable version can be worked out. So it's, it's kind of at least in, during my time here, unprecedented to see a special session to deal specifically with two vetoed bills that are up for possible overrides. And, and, and they're dealing with STEM education and kind of expanding drug courts. Here's Governor Parson talking about both of these things in St. Louis earlier this week. I told him when I first became governor that I was going to figure out ways that I could work with them to move Missouri forward, because that's all I really cared about. I didn't care about the Democrat, the Republican issues. I get that. But what I do care about, when we have common grounds, we can work on things together. We need to all get on the same team, and we need to move forward. That's what people expect out of us. What, what's interesting about this special session is there doesn't really seem to be a lot of partisan disagreement about the bills at hand. I think that there's been some question about the STEM bill. It mainly involves promoting the idea of or promoting the expansion of 
of what's called uh, STEM curriculum, you know, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, the reason this particular bill is vetoed uh, is not because Parson is opposed to that type of curriculum, but he said that the contents of the bill appeared to be narrowly tailored to apply to only one company. That's a quote that I'm reading there. And uh, that was the, the reason he gave for vetoing that particular bill. So at this point, um, he's challenging, in a, in a friendly way, I suppose, challenging lawmakers to come up with something that would be more palatable. My expectation is that the, the session should go pretty smoothly, and we'll, these two bills will likely be passed. Is that, is that fair to say? It, it's fair to say. I'd, I would be surprised if you know, some snag happened that would cause uh, one or both of these bills to not make it. But then again, we've, <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that we expected things to go smoothly and, the, and they didn't. So I guess it just remains to be seen. So let's shift a little bit back to elections, which is kind of the reason we started this show in the first place. There were a couple of developments in the Claire McCaskill-Josh Hawley race I just want to make sure our listeners know about. Uh, I had a story earlier this week about how Attorney General Hawley wants to overhaul the earned income tax credit. For people that don't know, that is a, a tax credit that certain people, that, that people that make a certain amount of money and have a certain amount of kids get, primarily low and moderate income workers. And in Hawley's view, getting a yearly benefit is not as beneficial as the way he wants to restructure the program, which is to provide kind of a pay boost in a biweekly or monthly paycheck. And instead, let's give to every worker who makes below the median, let's give them a credit in their paychecks uh, every pay period, you know, so if it's every two weeks or if it's every month, whatever folks get, however it's with their employers, and it would go directly to the employee, to the worker, they'd be delivered through the payroll tax system, and it would be a credit. It would be a boost to their wage uh, right then, right there. And the idea would be, uh, Jason, to, to uh, boost them up 50%, say, I mean, you can structure it in different ways, but say 50% closer to the median wage. So if the median is 16 and they're currently uh, making um, eight, then they're going to get a, a $4 increase. Holly told me that he would pay for this with the, the money that currently goes toward the earned income tax credit, which is about $65 billion a year. He also wants to, quote, consolidate welfare programs. And that drew some criticism from McCaskill's campaign. They pointed to the fact that Holly is skeptical, if not downright opposed, to the minimum wage increase that is on the ballot this year. And, it, and they're wondering, like, what sort of programs are going to be cut for, for individual workers. It's, it's an interesting proposal. Marco Rubio of Florida actually floated it a few years ago, and it does provide more evidence that economic issues are playing a big role in the Senate race. One of the things that happened on Thursday was McCaskill announced the endorsement from the National Border Patrol Council. That's a union that represents people who are the frontline people who are enforcing immigration law. And while this press conference was going on, a reporter actually asked McCaskill about this anonymous New York Times op-ed that was uh, from some senior official within Donald Trump's administration. This is what she had to say about that. First of all, I am uncomfortable with the notion that an editorial like that is written anonymously. Um, 
uh, if, in fact, uh, there is someone high up in the president's administration who has serious concerns about his competence, then I think to be taken as seriously as the subject matter, it would be important for that person to come forward. Um, you know, I, I'm very uncomfortable with the idea that people are um, somehow stealing papers off of his desk or, um, um, you know, trying to distract the president or all the different descriptions that are going on, but yet no one is stepping forward and, um, and saying those things uh, with ownership. And so I, I, I disagree with many of the positions of the president. I disagree with um, how he has handled the office of the presidency in terms of his personality and his, um, his struggle with being factual. But I, I do think that it is important for uh, everyone that's in Congress to stand down until Mueller completes his investigation and we have all the facts. And so I think any discussion, uh, first of all, the 25th Amendment would not be something that would come from Congress. Um, that would be something that would come from inside of his administration. And secondly, I think um, any talk of impeachment is inappropriate until the Mueller investigation is complete. So, Marshall, the thing that I wanted to ask to you in particular is that there often is some interplay between the federal government and the Missouri General Assembly for eight years from 2009 to, you know, the very beginning of 2017, you did see a General Assembly that tried to push back against President Barack Obama's administration. Are you sensing kind of an opposite now that the Republicans have a Republican president about, about you know, speaking out against some of the things that the Trump administration has done? Or did the Greitens stuff so overwhelm lawmakers this year that there really wasn't much interplay between the federal and state governments? Uh, I think B is the answer to that question, the, the option that uh, you just put out there. I do think the scandal um, surrounding the former governor did uh, suck a lot of the air out of the room, uh, so to speak. That doesn't mean the pushback went away completely. Um, the Obama administration is gone. We now have a Trump administration in Washington, D.C. But a lot of the things that were put in place uh, are still in place, and so there's still a bit of a push from uh, Republican lawmakers towards what they still view as a federal bureaucracy that those who strongly support Trump feel haven't been rooted out completely yet. And so there will still be somewhat of a push against uh, Washington, D.C., but it won't be as um, overly aggressive as we've seen in, uh, in sessions past. And at this point, of course, the special session, I don't expect to see anything along those lines come up, but you never know. And now it's time for Politically Speaking's election analysis, where we break down what will be on your ballot on November 6th. So let's shift to the thing on the November ballot that we want to focus on this week, and that is Proposition D, which would gradually raise Missouri's gasoline taxes over a period of time. The idea being that money that was raised through this tax would eventually be used for transportation infrastructure. Marshall, you've been following this issue since it came up, I think, near the end of the legislative session. Tell us a little bit about what this particular proposition would do. Well, um, as you said, it would gradually raise the fuel tax. 
we say fuel tax you now because there's gasoline, there's diesel, but uh, generally speaking, uh, the fuel tax is at 17.3 cents per gallon. It's, I want to say, the fourth lowest in the United States. It's, it's, it's definitely one of the cheapest. This particular proposal, if it's approved by voters, would, by the year 2022, so just you know, roughly four years from now, uh, the gas tax would be gradually raised to 27 cents a gallon. The thinking is that just gradually raising it will, will ease the pain of it being higher. The, uh, it would also do um, a couple other things, like uh, it would, it would uh, create this bottleneck fund that uh, some of the uh, new revenues from the fuel tax would go into that's designed to help eliminate bottlenecks along what's considered trucking routes in Missouri to uh, ease, you know, ease congestion caused by uh, 18-wheeler trucks that are transporting uh, cargo across the U.S. and doing it by passing through or going to Missouri or coming from Missouri. So that's, that's part of the bill as well. Now, the thing about the, uh, the lawsuit is that we have the case of bills that uh, may not be staying true to the original subject matter or expanded to include things that, um, that would qualify as violating the single subject clause. And the lawsuit designed to stop Proposition D focuses on that because the original bill that this uh, resolution is on was designed to give Olympic medal winners who live in Missouri a tax deduction on any gold, silver, or bronze medals they win at any Olympic Games. That was amended to include this fuel tax. And uh, the title was changed to refer to revenues, which the proponents argue, well, there's rev- state revenue or taxes that involve, you know, one category being Olympic medals, the other category being fuel taxes. You know, they're both taxes, they're both revenues, they're related. Well, the um, the, the opponents, uh, who primarily consist of Representative Mike Moon and political activist Ron Calzone, say that is not correct. Uh, this violates the single subject clause and uh, needs to be struck down. They've already failed at the circuit court level, and uh, uh, earlier this week, uh, the Western Appeals Court also ruled in favor of keeping Proposition D on the ballot. One of the things that I, I just read through the bill while you were explaining it is the the proceeds from this tax increase would actually go to help fund I, the Missouri Highway Patrol. And I guess the idea being that if 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 a, a gas tax increase is funding the highway patrol, then it frees up other money for, for, for roads and transportation infrastructure. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, yes. And I did I did neglect to mention that uh, the Prop D would also, you know, use revenues to fund the the uh, highway patrol. Uh, so yeah, the, in theory that's how it would work. Um, if highway patrol has uh, a new revenue stream coming in, then it would free up other revenue to be used for roads and bridges. As far as how much, don't have that figure in front of me, and maybe no one has that exact figure in front of them either. It, it seems to me that maybe they did it in this particular direction, because maybe the proponents could say, well, if you pass this gas tax increase, you're supporting law enforcement, even though the idea is by supporting law enforcement, by giving them a dedicated revenue stream, um, you are also funding roads by freeing up other sorts of money. Is, was that mentioned in debate at all, or was that not really the thinking from what you heard? Um, it was actually brought up a few times uh, during floor debate. So, I mean, that theme was used to uh, help convince people to, or 
help convince lawmakers to pass this this bill in this form. And the other argument that was used strongly to push this was that we're not just going to pass this and it goes to the governor and it becomes law. We've added this referendum language on to uh, to let the people of Missouri decide it. That was probably the strongest argument to get uh, lawmakers to pass this is that uh, it would go before Missouri voters and they would have a say in uh, in passing it or in authorizing it. Now that said, it still barely made it out of the house. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was something along the lines of 80 something to 60 something uh, the vote count. So it was it passed narrowly. Yeah, and I was just looking at the Secretary of State's website. It says that if this passes, the measure will generate at least $288 million annually to the state road fund to provide for the funding of Missouri state law enforcement and $123 million annually to local governments for road construction and maintenance. So, I mean, I guess that's that when it's fully phased in, that would be my assumption. But you're looking at a few hundred million dollars eventually for for the state's roads. Let's talk about Governor Parson's stance on this issue. I'm about to play a clip now from January, but while he was Lieutenant Governor Parson, but one of the the great benefits of uh, interviewing Parson before he became governor is I talked with him a, a lot about issues which are now pertinent now, including his desire to get more money for Missouri infrastructure. We have to do something for the infrastructure of the state of Missouri. If we have, if we expect to be uh, competitive in economics around the United States and the globe, we've got to do something with our infrastructure. And say, I'm talking about airports, I'm talking about our river ports, I'm talking about rail, talking about our highway system, our bridges, and it's going to cost something to do that. I don't know any way to sugarcoat that for anybody to say, you know, we're going to do this by transferring money out of this agency or that agency. It's going to cost something. You know, my firm belief is the Constitution was set up to do this through a gas tax or through a use tax on that. I think that's where we should go to some form of that. Maybe there's another form or two of something. But anyhow, the bottom line is I think we as statewide elected officials have got to be willing to get out here on the stump and say, look, we need to do this for the betterment of the state of Missouri. What's interesting to me is I don't remember the last time a Missouri governor was on the stump advocating for a tax increase. You would have to go back maybe to Bob Holden when he was doing something like this. How much do you think Governor Parson's advocacy for this, and I would also imagine Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, who is the former chairman of the Senate Transportation Committee and has been supportive of more money for infrastructure transportation-wise for a long time, what do you, what do you think that's going to mean for this campaign? It might give it the boost it needs. Uh, it's, it's a little too soon to say because there are also a lot of Republicans who view any tax increase, even for fuel tax increase that would uh, help fund the highway patrol or help fund roads and bridges, they view that uh, the same as any other tax increase. The former Governor Greitens, um, on the opposite end of this argument, said that he would not sign any tax increase into effect, even a fuel tax increase as well. It might be a bit of a hard sell among some of the uh, the, the hardline, fiscally conservative Republicans, but the fact that you have you know someone who might be who might be delivering his message in a more gentle or more uh, jovial or agreeable manner in other words parson's personality might help to sell this among people who are on the fence about it 
and um and and perhaps and you would know this more than I would living in St. Louis, but I'm, I'm sure that there will be some opposition there as well, uh, just because of the level of taxation that currently exists um, in the city and in the uh, the St. Louis metro. Yeah, that's it's interesting you mentioned that because I covered the the sales tax increase proposal in 2014 for transportation. And that failed by a very wide margin, even though the pro side like vastly outspent the anti side. And I, I think the reason that failed is pretty simple. It was a, a massive tax increase by any discernible measure. And adding 0.75 uh, you know, cents to uh, the already high sales tax in St. Louis and Kansas City, I think was a tough pill to swallow. Now, that being said, I don't think there's any argument that the infrastructure and the transportation needs of the state are great. I mean, I went under an overpass in St. Louis with somebody from MoDOT, and they showed me how those types of, of, of things are, are literally decaying. And when you compound that by the, the state of rural roads throughout the state, there, there clearly is a need for more money to, to fix these types of things. But you're you're going to probably hear arguments from Senate like like what's heard here from Senator Bob Onder, a Republican from Lake uh, St. Louis, about why this proposal isn't the way to go. Well, I believe that we do need more money to fund transportation infrastructure. Um, I do not, however, believe that uh, it is good for the economy for to pass a $300 million um, tax increase on the people of the state of Missouri. I've had legislation in the past. Other senators have proposed legislation um, this session to uh, to supplement our, our transportation tax uh, with some general revenue. So, um, so I, I, I think again. I, I, if it is, if it is passed, I think it'll be good that finally we have done something to, uh, to, to uh, fund our transportation infrastructure to a greater degree. It's not the, the particular tax is not my preferred way of doing it. What I've kind of gathered from following this debate for a while is that there seems to be some hesitancy about increasing the sales tax and doing toll roads. For, for obvious reasons. I, I'm from the Chicago suburbs, and while I do think toll roads have helped maintain some of the highways there, they cause a lot of, of traffic inconvenience. And when the prices go up, they can be pretty jarring, especially for uh, returning re, uh, natives like myself. I've always sensed that the gas tax was a more... more uh, was a more popular option just because you don't necessarily feel it unless you're using it. Uh, but but I, I can also imagine that Senator Anders' concerns are going to be a real concern at the ballot box. What, what, have you, what are you kind of sensing? Well, let me just put it this way. I, I, think, I think it's still going to be very, very close if it does pass. You know, for years, MoDOT and various lawmakers and elected officials have been saying we've got to do something about Missouri's roads. We have the seventh largest road network in the in the United States, you know, largely due to the lettered routes. And there's been, you know, debate as to well, should we uh, dump the lettered route system and turn those roads back over to the counties? Well, that would ease the the state's budget a lot, but every county's budget in Missouri would skyrocket from that point. There's not an easy fix for this. Um, I can't predict what the vote turnout will be 
on this. I imagine it will be close if it does pass. And if it does not pass, you're going to have a very hot topic and a lot of um, a lot of angry backlash in Jefferson City when January 2019 rolls around. There's going to be a lot of people unhappy that something hasn't been done because at this point, it appears that uh, the state can't accomplish this or can't find a solution to this. So it's basically, you know, they're leaving it up to the voters to vote one way or the other on this. And it's at this point, I'm thinking it's either going to fail or it's going to pass by a very close margin. That's just, that's my opinion. We'll have to see what happens. Thank you, Marshall, for joining us this afternoon for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. And how could people follow you on Twitter, Marshall? Uh, They can go to at Marshall G Report. Thank you very much. Until next week, so long. (laughs) 